0: Thread, a singular thought expanded upon the box. Thread is the podcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. For more information, log on to Quinley.com. Thread. Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley and welcome back to a new improved Thread Podcast. We've got a couple of uh, new things that have happened since we last recorded. Number one, we've got a new Android app for the show. We were kind of holding off on new episodes until we got the app finished. It's out there now. If you've got an Android phone, just go to the Marketplace and look for Thread by Chuck Quinley. This app will uh, give you every podcast that we've ever recorded, really easy to find. You can star them, make comments on them. You've also got ways to send your comments to our new Facebook group, which is, same title, Thread by Chuck Quinley, to distinguish it from the sewing groups about Thread. Um, and we'd love for you to join that Facebook group. Let's start interacting with each other, talking about God's Word and the issues that that are raised through the Scriptures that we study. We've got a new uh, website, threadpodcast.com. So we're getting things organized so it's better to promote, and we really need your help in doing that. Uh, the work that we put in, it's growing. Um, The audience is growing. We're up to about 2,500 downloads a month. And I want to really thank those of you who are forwarding the podcast to your friends and helping other people find out about it. We need your comments. We want it to be better. I know it's not perfect. And if there's any ways that I can improve what I'm doing uh, on my end, I would really, really appreciate you helping me see that. We've, We've shortened the broadcast now to 15 minutes max. In this episode 62, we begin our new study in the book of Acts. So if you don't have your Bible, run, get it, come right back for Thread. Um, this is a companion book, companion book to the Gospel of Luke. The book of Acts was written by Luke. And in this, in this uh, telling, he tells a story of the first form of Christianity as the disciples of Jesus now attempt to live out his teachings in the real world of the first century. It's a, it's a journal about practicing the teachings of Jesus under the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this dynamic of having the Holy Spirit at work in the church, and when I say the church, I don't mean the building or the organizational form, because they didn't have much of that, didn't have a building for 300 years in Christianity. But they had people, and among the people, the people, that's what the church is. It's the people of God, the people following Jesus as his disciples. The Holy Spirit is at work in the church, and that is what makes the church special. And it makes the church nothing like the social, political, even the religious groups of their day, groups they had belonged to, groups that we still have around today. But there was nothing like the church. These were just ordinary people. They didn't have a building, didn't have a university, didn't have a publishing ministry, yet, because of the work of the Holy Spirit through their lives, they became a force for change that impacted the entire Roman Empire. And this book is really important, I think, because it gives us a journal of the earliest attempt to live out the teachings of Jesus. This this book shows us the prototype. Uh, This group understood Christ's teachings the best. Because they actually knew him. They had heard him teach in person. You know, it's really easy for a movement to drift off from the founder's initial vision and even to add new doctrines as time goes along. You know, I live in a Buddhist country, and it's not uncommon now for me to talk to Buddhist people, and they, I say, "Uh, what happens if you're evil when you die? And they'll say, oh, you go to hell. And, I mean, Buddha didn't believe in hell. He didn't believe there was a heaven or a hell, or that you had a soul, he didn't believe in a god or a devil, he didn't believe in those things, but yet his followers have taken on Christian concepts, and they talk about Buddhists going to hell. Now, I'm certain this same thing has happened in Christianity. You know, on the one hand, we have the teachings and lifestyle of Jesus, as recorded in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. On the other hand, we have a thing called Christianity that we're part of, and that is the combination of a religion about Jesus plus culture. And it exists in Catholic form, Orthodox, Coptic, Protestant, Evangelical, Pentecostal versions. You have Mennonites, you have the Amish. We have monks, we have priests, we have temples, we have churches that worship in gymnasiums. And each one of these will give you a defense of why their version is correct. And what I want to make certain of in my own life is that I'm following the way of Jesus. And as hard as it is to do, I want to try to strip away what has grown to be Christianity and get back to the original germ of this movement. I want to know Christ. I want to know what he taught. I want to know how he lived and what his vision was of his people. And I feel like studying the book of Acts is my best chance to get at that, because these were the people that walked with him. They heard him directly, spent the most time with him. And so when they tried to live it out the first time themselves, I think their effort is going to be closer to the original pattern than our modern efforts are. So on the one hand, we're not going back to the first century. We cannot, we don't really need to try to be a first century church. On the other hand, we do need to study the patterns of their life and look for consistent patterns, because if we're ever going to read Jesus, you know, you need to reboot a computer when it messes up. We need to reboot the church. And if we're going to do that, we're going to have to go back to this book of Acts, and we have to look for consistent patterns. I'm interested, especially as we study it, in patterns involving four things. Now maybe it'll grow to more but for now I'm on four things. Number 1, fellowship. When the people come together to be the church, the the koinonia, the the ones who when God called answered and all came together to be a a family. When they lived together as a church family, how did they behave socially among each other? You know, what were their norms? What were the rules of living together? What did they believe their membership in this new community to mean? And then, you know, what were the implications outside of the meetings for relationships between husbands and wives and children and parents and employers and employees? And how did this, how did the, the uh, relational human element, you know, what was it like in that early church? I think that's really important to me. Because I'm, I'm certain that a lot of modern churches have totally lost that. I remember a book called uh, Three Cheers for Hardback Pews. And another book said, I don't want to hold hands in church. And they just wanted, you know, it's not about these people around me. I'm here for focusing. I'll focus on the teaching I'm going to get. I'll focus on the music. You know, but I don't think the New Testament church saw themselves that way. Their shape was not rectangle. Their shape was circle. And I want to understand that. I don't want to force things on it that were not part of New Testament life, but I do want to see you know what fellowship was like with them. Number two, ministry. we We have all kinds of things called the ministry today. Well, what did they do? You know as they worked as a group? Because they you know, they felt as a group that they'd been called into existence because there was a certain kind of work that needed to be done. There were things not done that needed to be done by this group, and that's why they came together. So what did they do as their work as a group? Where was the emphasis placed? And that's really huge, because if you, if you get the emphasis right, now you've got the balance. If you, you can have the same elements, but if you emphasize one thing way more than it should be, it's like putting a whole bunch of salt in a soup and saying, well, it's all equal. You know, more salt is better. We don't need as much water. We can add double the salt. No, you can't. You've got to have salt for emphasis, you know, the broth for the basis. you got to get it right. So that's what I want to know about ministry because I'm in ministry, and a lot of you are in ministry in some form in a formalized way. Number three, worship. How did the early church approach it, Approach God in worship? What was the emphasis, what was the standard practice of their meetings that they held every week as it regards worship? Number four, supernatural manifestations. How do we know that this movement was real? Now, how do we know that this movement of ours, this Christian movement, is real? How do we know that it's truly in touch with the eternal God that we claim to represent? Unless he demonstrates it, by showing his presence in tangible ways. So I want to look in the early church for when did God show up? How did he show his favor? And how did he show his displeasure? At what points did they encounter God and find God? It's going to be a really fascinating study. We're going to learn by watching the early church as they succeed, and we'll also learn to watch them fail. Uh, For example, most of the epistles of Paul and the others, these books that come after the book of Acts in the Bible, those books were written because some church somewhere was failing. They were failing to follow the ways of Jesus. Quality control was a main function of an apostle. It was their duty to accurately and forcefully represent the teachings of Jesus to the ancient world and to hold the church accountable to follow those teachings precisely, even if they called for change or sacrifice. And when the early churches that would spring up all over the uh, Middle Eastern world, when those churches would fail to follow the ways of Jesus, or even worse, institute a new practice or a new doctrine that was totally contrary to the ways of Jesus. At that point, the apostles would step in and say, wait, we know Jesus. That's what made the uh, first generation of apostles that was part of the requirement. You had to have known Jesus. And they would say, no, we walked with Jesus. This is not what he said. This is not the emphasis. This is not how he lived. And therefore, if you're going to be the people of Jesus, you can't add these things, like all the paintings all over the world of Jesus, you know, where they'll have Jesus and he's Caucasian, Jesus is black, Jesus is Hispanic, he's Asian. But Jesus is who he was. He You can't, change that. He's a historical figure. And so the apostles were saying, no, the doctrine is not open to uh, editing on our part. We stick to the way that Jesus taught it, and we live the way that Jesus lived. So it's going to be exciting to watch that. We're going to watch um, the development of different varieties of leadership in the early church. We're going to see apostles and shepherds and evangelists, and prophets, and teachers, and healers being raised up by the Lord. We're going to see God at work through the Holy Spirit, moving the church to obey the Great Commission. We're going to watch the gospel go beyond. The first church was 120 people, the earliest followers of Jesus. They were all gathered in one city, actually in one house, in Jerusalem. And that's where the church starts on the day of Pentecost. And we're going to watch those 120 people, and we're going to watch this movement begin to spread like fire, until there are local churches throughout Israel, Syria, Turkey, even into the very heart of the great capital of the empire, Rome. Caesar's household will hear the gospel. Christians will be pressured, they'll be imprisoned, even murdered, but the Holy Spirit will continue to work in power, convicting people of sin, bringing them to repentance, empowering change in life after life. And throughout the ancient world, men and women will declare, Jesus is Lord, even if it costs them their life's blood. And this same power, this power of the Holy Spirit that was in Jesus' life, authorizing him to preach the kingdom of God, to heal the sick, cast out demons, and set the captives free, we're going to watch that this same power is now given to the followers of Jesus, and they will also be authorized to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick and cast out demons and set the captives free. And the miracles he did, they will do because they've received what Jesus received in order to do what Jesus had done. And why is this important for us to study? Well, dear friend, it's important because this is our birthright too. You and I are not called to be entertained by the church. We are called to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to stand up for Christ in a pagan, perverse, godless generation just like the first century and to receive the same anointing of the Holy Spirit, to have our own life changed find ourselves in fellowship with a group of believers that support one another as we live out the honest discipleship that Jesus has called us to aspire to. We're going to walk with Christ and do ministry with Christ. This book has never been more appropriate, and I really hope you'll join me in the next few weeks as we study the book of Acts. Let's keep the conversation going. On our Facebook page, Thread by Chuck Quinley, you can Ask your questions about the Book of Acts, anything you'd like to have covered in the podcast. Also, the Android Marketplace, the app, you'll find it in the same place, Thread by Chuck Quinley. And then there's the new Thread podcast website, threadpodcast.com. We'll see you next time on Thread.